Let's do this. Um, as we think about Advent, this is the week of joy, typically the third week. We light the third candle of joy. And we're going to light these candles together as part of kind of our rhythm. Um, John 15, 9 through 12 says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. The great Eugene Peterson, I was talking to someone this morning just about, uh, I call him the huge huge, uh, that's the name I gave him anyways, uh, love Eugene Peterson and his, just his theology, he says this, joy is not a requirement of Christian discipleship, it is a consequence of that. It is not what we have to acquire in order to experience life in Christ, it is what comes to us when we are walking in the way of faith and obedience. We try to get it, joy, we do, through entertainment. We pay someone to make jokes. We pay people to tell stories, perform dramatic actions. We pay people to sing songs. We buy the vitality of another's imagination to, to divert and enleaven our own poor lives. The enormous entertainment industry in America is a sign of the depletion of joy in our culture. Society is bored, uh, is it not? Gluttonous. Uh, a glutton, gluttonous king employing a court jester to divert it after an overindulgent meal. But that kind of joy, the culture's kind of joy, never penetrates our lives, never changes our basic constitution. The effects are extremely temporary, a few quiet minutes, a few hours, a few days at most. But then when we run out of money, the joy, it trickles away. We cannot make our, he says, we cannot make ourselves joyful Joy cannot be commanded, purchased, or arranged, but there is something we can do. We can decide to live in response to the abundance of God and not under the dictatorship of our own poor needs. We can decide to live in the environment of a living God and not our own dying selves. We can decide to center ourselves in the God who generously gives and not in our own eagles, ego, sorry, which greedily grab. One of the certain consequences of such a life is joy, the kind expressed in Psalm 126, which we'll talk about in a minute. Ronald Rollheiser puts it like this, what is joy? Joy can never be induced. It can't be cranked up or made to happen. It's something that has to find us precisely within our ordinary, duty-bound, burdened, full of worries and pressured lives. This is joy. Imagine walking to your car or to the bus after a day's work, tired, needing some rest. But just as you reach your car or the bus stop, you, uh, you fill with a sense of life and health in some exotic way, all jumbled together. You feel your body, mind, soul, gender, your sexuality, your history, place within a family, networks of friends, city and country, and this feeling makes you spontaneously exclaim, God, it's good to be alive. That is joy. He goes on and says, as C.S. Lewis puts it, it has to surprise you. You can't find joy. It has to find you. That's its real quality. 
You can go to, par- to a party and say, tonight I'm going to have a good time. If it kills me, it might. Indeed, parties and letting off steam have their place. You might even find good cheer at a party or find a good distraction, and these can be needed therapy and a good recipe from hard work. But neither, he says, is joy. Joy is always the byproduct of something else. As the various versions of the prayer of St. Francis, uh, Francis put it, we can never attain joy, consolation, peace, forgiveness, love, and understanding by actively pursuing them. We attain them by giving them out. That's the great paradox at the center of all spirituality and one of the great foundational truths within the universe itself. The air that we breathe out is the air we will eventually breathe back in. Joy will come to us if we set about actively trying to create it for others. And so, brothers and sisters, we're not just going after a feeling. We're going to talk in a couple seconds here. Our joy that permeates our lives is found in a person. And so as we light these candles and as we kind of get ready for Christmas in this season, We light the third candle as a reminder that our joy is in King Jesus. Let's pray this. Lord Jesus, in this moment, free us from the distractions of the day so that we may be deeply present to you and ourselves for the sake of the world around us. Amen. Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, Psalm 126. This is my favorite psalm, and um, I don't uh, talk, I don't teach, and we haven't preached and taught through, like, specific psalms very much in the history of our church. It's something more we read collectively and corporately, Um, but I just want to take a couple minutes and look at Psalm 126. Is that okay? You all right with that? Beauty. Got the Christmas shopping done? Ask Heather because I'm just a disaster. It's all good. But um, I don't know if you've ever anticipated or were expecting something, waiting for something. This is so lame. Driving in this morning, I got thinking about my eight-year-old self living in Vineland, Ontario, just outside St. Catharines. And um, my folks, my dad came in one day and said, we're getting cable. Like cable television. This is the late 80s, all right? And... uh, I guess probably 1989, 1990. And this was a big deal. Not because obviously now we have like every channel imaginable uh, for everything, but because there was one thing in this cable package that my eight-year-old self wanted, and it was called this thing called the Sports Network, TSN. I heard kids talk about a television show that they would put on, a, a television channel that they would put on at home, and it was sports and it would not end. And I remember thinking, like, is the sports network, is TSN involved in this cable package? My dad said, we're getting TSN. And after I, you know, wept for days, just so excited about this, I got anticipating the cable guy coming. Remember the cable guy? We have a couple cable, oh, we have a cable guy, we know a cable guy. And so we're just kind of waiting, and um, there was a day set out, and so I am legit running home from school because the cable guy is supposed to come. But the cable guy got busy, 
And my eight-year-old self was crushed that I had to wait another couple days for the cable guy to come back. And finally, there was the day when it happened, when the cable guy did his deed and put it, this thing on our television called the Sports Network. My life was forever changed. You can probably think of things right now that you have longed for or anticipated in your life. What we're going to read here is a psalm really connected to exile. It's a psalm uh, that is, is in its context, um, it's a psalm of ascent, it's encouraging for the community of Israel, but it's exclaiming, really, the psalmist is exclaiming this reality of the people of God coming back to the city of Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the city after it was destroyed. If you know the story, there's this guy named Nebuchadnezzar, really evil king, if you watch Veggie Tales and you're little, comes in, destroys uh, Israel, destroys Jerusalem, takes down the temple, take, kills a bunch of people, takes the best and the brightest out towards Babylon, and now the remnant is slowly coming back to the city. And if you know, if you read your Bible, like Nehemiah is all about these people coming back and rebuilding this temple. And that's huge in their context because that's where the presence of God is. That's where the Holy of Holies is. This, is. this brings great joy to the community. If you read Ezra, it's all about the rebuilding of the city, that these, these people come back and they're beginning to, to rebuild. And so listen to the psalmist and what they say. It says this, verse 1, Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, listen to what it says. We were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with what? Joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord. Like streams in the Negev, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carry seed to sow, will return with the songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. So this is a picture of the community of Israel coming back. And the psalmist says, we were like those who dreamed. We were like those who dreamed. The God community has always been a community of people, and now on this side of the cross, obviously the Jesus community, that dreams. We long, we anticipate. Actually, what's so beautiful about Advent and kind of the yearly rhythm is it just a con continual reminder for us, a kind of a continual awakening for us that we are anticipating something. Just like Israel was hoping for their city to be restored, we have this greater vision. At, even at Christmas time, it's this beautiful reminder that God has not left us, but he is returning and he is going to set up shop and he is going to renew all things. You can't talk about the Christmas story, about where it is headed. And what's so fascinating about this story is the, the, just the Christian idea of joy, right? Like, what is joy? Well, we, we had these beautiful kind of quotes, but it's, fascinating how kind of in a cultural sense we think like joy is happiness if you just feel happy if you get the right things and the things that make you happy then that's kind of joy but then you read this guy named the apostle paul and what's like scholars especially almost chuckle at the fact that paul's most significant letter when it comes to his focus on joy is the letter of philippians anybody know where paul was when he wrote philippians in freaking jail. 
Like that alone is like so bizarro that the place in which coming off the pen of Paul, which is now like scripture for us, that we pick up years, like obviously years later and come around this, He's talking about joy. He, in, in, the, in the letter, you can read it at some point. We went through it as a community. He talks about rejoicing always. That in Christ, our joy is made complete. And so it's crystal clear that this type of joy, this, this Jesus-saturated type of joy, is not rooted in our circumstances. This is the difference. So we say, in a moment where there's pain and there's suffering, that our joy is in something deeper, are you with me, and something better. And so Paul writes from, uh, obviously, a prison cell. And by the way, that's not like bacon, and I'm not, you know, it is what it is. I'm not talking bacon and eggs like 2020. In the first century, especially in Philippi, people have excavated this. If you, like, wanted to live, you'd be chained in the cell, and your friends or your family would have to bring stuff for you and care for you, food and clothing, or whatever, so that you would live. You were literally at the whim of those closest to you who would come and keep you alive. And here Paul is saying, rejoice. Find your joy in the king. And so this is just a reminder for us that, you know, the daily kind of, or the yearly rhythm at least, and for some of us that are parents, where you know the tsunami of plastic is coming, Anybody? The, the plastic toys, like, we, we have to, like, put a memo out now to family. Like, don't give us plastic crap that will be, you know, gone within 20 days. Any parents with me? Can I just, like, can this be a support group for the, the old guy who's got, like, too much plastic coming into his home at Christmas, right? I often ask people, like, early February, you know, the obsession with getting the gift and the stuff and all that comes around Christmas. And I'll often ask people, so, like, tell me what you got, you know, 30 days after it was given. Most people can't remember This is not anti-gift or anything like that, but it's just a reminder that what is happening within us as the Jesus community, something deeper is happening at this time of year. That our joy is found in the king. This is what Paul would say. But you know what's interesting, um, and I hear this, and it's true, like we often say things in the church like it's all about Jesus. And is that true? That's a pretty good statement, I think. But I I find as we say that, we have to be reminded that the king is doing something and going somewhere, if that makes sense. Often we want to talk about, like, it's all about Jesus. Without Jesus, there's nothing. And I, I absolutely agree with that. But what's fascinating in the arc of Scripture is that Jesus is taking us somewhere. He's progressing to, you know, human, as human history progresses, and we get this vision that Jesus is going to come what he's doing is deeply connected to who he is. Are you following me? And so, you know, as we live kind of after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we have this same type of longing. We were like those who dreamed. We're these dreamers. And we don't dream of some ethereal kind of even secular or post-secular kind of vision for the world. We dream of this day when, and it's deeply tied to the Christmas story, and it's deeply tied to Advent. We dream of this day when the king will come, and he'll renew all things. He'll wipe every tear away. The injustice, the deep sense of fear right now in our world and in our culture, the brokenness in our city, and I mean, I don't know if you saw it this morning, even driving in here this morning and seeing brokenness around us, that will be rid of. 
We are these people that don't just look to December 25th again. That's, that's beautiful. There's tradition and there's things we enter into. We are like these people that dream for heaven coming to earth. And this is what Christmas reminds us. Now, we'll close with this. Fascinating that in oftentimes a very disembodied culture, especially in the Greco-Roman world, if you know the pantheon of gods that the Greco-Roman world would worship, there was a god for everything, right? And uh, just this kind of way of Greco-god worship was just you worship whatever, you worship the sun, whatever, you know? And you get in the first century these people, this Christian community, that comes around a God who actually came in human flesh. I, I know you know this, but this is the game changer. That as we talk about dreaming and longing, Israel was dreaming and longing for the city of Jerusalem to be established and re, 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 you know, restored, that the temple would be restored for them to kind of go into the Holy of Holies, that they would get their practices in way back not understanding that God would actually come and tabernacle among them in a completely different way, that he'd actually give of himself. And one of the things as we talk about joy and this longing at Advent is have you ever thought about the reality that Jesus, like, Jesus is here, but he's only here by his spirit. Like, I haven't seen any wandering rabbis from Nazareth recently. Some of you try and grow sweet beards every once in a while, and we'll, we'll give you like an A plus on that. But I haven't seen Jesus, you know, just kind of walking through the halls here at Goodwill Industries. He's here by his spirit. But think about a moment and time and place as we long about heaven coming to earth, that he will be at the center of his people that he will come and he will dwell. And certainly he's here by his spirit, absolutely. But he will be worshiped. We are like these people that dream, not just for the great king to come, absolutely, but to actually bring his kingdom. And so Advent is not just about, um, oftentimes the sentimental things we make it about at this time. I believe it's this Christmas even a, a reimagining of something far deeper and that God is coming. He's sending his son. He's returning. He's going to make all things new. And that is where our joy is found. So, right, so for some of us in this room, as we come to the tables in just a minute, this, this year or these last couple years for many of us in this room have not been great, right? Our circumstances, maybe it's job stuff, maybe it's mental health stuff or just not knowing where you should be through the disorientation of, of what we've seen through the COVID season. The Christian view of joy would say, we're not like painting pie in the sky and just like, hey, let's just think really good thoughts. Even deeper than that is, we have this king that we lean into no matter what we're experiencing. We follow him and he's bringing his kingdom here. Our joy is rooted in a, a better story, a better narrative. And imagine a community of people that could live that out. And so as we come to the tables in just a minute, we're going to sing this song, my favorite, and it's going to come up on the screens, my favorite Christmas song, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And I love this song because I think of anything, you think about 
Israel and the writers in the, of the Psalms at the time, longing, God, we're like those who dream. We want to see this city restored. We want to see your presence restored in the temple. As we come to the tables, I think we get to come and we get to taste, and I know it's like prepackaged waivers and juice, but we get to taste a little bit of the kingdom of God as we gather. But it, I, my hope is, is that as we go, there would be this longing. As Israel longed for that type of restoration, we would say, Jesus, King Jesus, come. Come. We know you came, but come again. You with me? And so why don't you stand with me? And I'm going to pray. And there's a table, obviously, at the back. And I just believe this is going to be a moment in our gathering this morning where God is just going to speak and move. And I hope as we sing this song a couple times, kind of to close our gathering, that you come to the table, we come to the table together, take that, but that we would just collectively long and yearn. Like my grade eight self yearning, maybe a bad example, yearning for the cable guy, right? That there would be this longing and yearning within us. Not just for a day, but for a completely renewed cosmos. Think about that, right? Like, here we are, I know, this morning I woke up, massive headache, just, you know, just, you know, you wake up some mornings, you're just extra tired for some reason, and it's like, sometimes I get it when we've obviously talked about this through the fall, sometimes you may be even feeling yourself like, is this really doing anything? Is this doing anything? Think about it for a second. This is not just about a day. This is about God renewing the entire world. What you are doing in this moment to gather with the church. I believe matters because we're longing for that day. And so as we sing this, long, yearn, expect. I would even encourage you, and you maybe don't, maybe don't even have to do that on the outside if you don't want. You do this in any way you want as we sing this song. But my prayer is that something would come and be stirred within us. Come King Jesus. And so that's our prayer. That's our prayer this morning. We were like those who dreamed. Even now, God, could we embody this sense of our mouths are filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Not because of our circumstances, not because of what we think we can do for ourselves, but Jesus, because of who you are and what you're doing and what you're doing in this good world that you've created. So as we come to the table, may your love and light just shine through us. And may, God, may you just be lifted up. May you be lifted up.